You are now tuned in to the Midnight Genius Hour. What's up, world? Welcome to the Midnight Genius Hour. How y'all doing out there? You got your man, Nick, here. And as always, I'm uh, with my trusted companion. What's up, everybody? It's your man, Brian, here. Welcome to our second episode, season two. Hell yeah, man. We are on the evening of Friday, February 5th, on the eve of the eve of Super Bowl time, man. Um, it's going to be a, a big matchup this year, man. Like, uh, I think you just said right now, before we came on the air, 2020 was a shitty year. It's like the gods gifted us with, uh, an epic, uh, duel between, uh, one of the goats, um, of the position QB, Mr. fucking Brady, who, man, we, a lot of us can't stand and, and the fucking, the gunslinger from, uh, from Kansas city, fucking Mahomes, man. What do you think about this matchup, Brian? It's a great match. Uh, we were definitely got a special present after the crap year we've had. And we have the uh, ultimate match of the Chiefs going for the repeat, which is, I don't know, when's the last time that's been done? Jeez, was it the I Cowboys? Think, I think when the Cowboys, the, the that's 90s. been a long time. It's hard yeah. to do. And we got a lot of, a lot of stuff to talk about, right? Hell yeah. Well, again, we want to thank you all for uh, for listening. Hopefully we're growing that listenership out there in uh, in the interwebs. Um, but just to let you all know, man, you can find us not just here at the uh, MGH podcast on Spotify and Anchor, but uh, you can also catch us on the Twitterverse at Midnight Genius One. All right. So that's just Midnight Genius and the number one. And uh, we also got a, a blog. Brian, tell them how you can catch us there. We got a new blog that has uh, fresh new content. You can check that out at midnightgeniushour.blogspot.com. The, when you listen to our video or our podcast, depending on how you listen to it, it's got the website there, but we'll sometimes post extensions of the episodes and different off topics check it out definitely midnightgeniushour.blogspot.com and at twitter at midnightgenius1 the number one. Hell yeah man so obviously uh since we're talking about the super bowl at the top um you know we thought we'd bring you uh, a kind of super bowl themed um podcast uh this week so we're going to talk a little bit about some old crazy stories with, uh, with the crazy game, with probably the biggest game that some of these athletes have ever played in their lives. Um, we're also going to talk about some stories from the upcoming game this weekend. Um, so we're going to get a little bit of that. We're also going to sprinkle in, I mean, you guys know uh, we're big time music lovers here at the MGH um, podcast. So we had to talk about some of our you know, favorite musical performances that have uh, graced the Super Bowl stages. Um, as always, you're going to get some new music, 
Um, we'll talk a little bit about more, some more sports and some more new music. And uh, yeah, man. And I'm going to kick it off with a story about the La Oakland Raiders, not the Los Angeles Raiders. The poor team has moved fucking so many times. But the Oakland Raiders at the time, uh, their center, who for your, you big uh, O-linemen you know, uh, fans, He's he's the quarterback of that O line, you know, and I'm talking about the Oak, uh, the Oakland Raiders center um, Barrett Robbins, man. Uh, came into the league from TCU, uh, Texas Christian University. Uh, Brian, quick uh, quiz: what's their what's their mascot? Horn Frogs. There you go. So yeah, he was drafted into the league in uh, 1995. Um, unfortunately, he did find out in his TCU days that he was struggling with mental illness. Um, specifically then, they had diagnosed him with uh, depression. Um, either way, I mean, he would find himself into the league. Um, like I said, drafted in 95 by the Raiders. Um, unfortunately, you started seeing these mental illness problems pop up in, I think, his rookie year in 96, or maybe his sophomore year, uh, 96, with, uh, with the, the Raiders. Um, they had a game in Denver, and the Saturday before the game, he was wandering around the hotel lobby, um, completely incoherent and drunk. And they immediately, you know, you know fi- tried to figure out what he was up to. He was completely out of it. They ended up having him hospitalized, and he didn't even play the next day. So he was, you know, struggling with uh, alcoholism, with uh, depression, other manic disorders and stuff. And it all boiled over. On the biggest day or the biggest weekend, should we say, of his life, uh, the Super Bowl in 2003, actually, who uh, was also being played by the Bucks, And uh, interestingly, interestingly enough, they won. And I know a lot of people might have the Bucks winning tomorrow. Um, but, hey, we'll see. Anyways, Super Bowl 37. In sunny San Diego, California, poor, uh, poor homeboy, Mr. Robbins, um, they said supposedly that a part of his manic uh, issue that weekend was the fact that they had a run-heavy offense, and him, of course, being center was uh, integral to that offense. Well, supposedly the coach at the time uh, decided that they were going to you know, switch up the scheme a little bit and go to a little bit more pass-heavy offense. Now, whether or not that threw him off, um, homeboy um, from Friday, as soon as they you know started the you know Super Bowl weekend activities, was really starting to spiral out of control. His wife at the time knew he was going through this issue. She was able to get him to the team hotel um, Saturday evening before eleven, uh, which was curfew for them. Unfortunately, though, he snuck out of the hotel without his wallet, without his cell phone. And went partying with some undisclosed uh, dudes, not from the team, but you know maybe a traveling posse of fans. Who knows? Either way, um, our man, Mr. Barrett Robbins, partied his entire night away into Saturday. Day drank all the way into Saturday. He even admits that he uh, was at one point remembers coming to in his episode as uh, being in fucking TJ, bro, Tijuana across the border. Um, oddly enough, uh, a former player who uh, was there in San Diego, you know, obviously traveling to the game, sees him, uh, throws him into a cab, 
tells the fucking taxi driver, here's $300, take him straight to the hotel. I don't care what he says. Takes him to the team hotel, shows up Saturday night at around 8, 9 o'clock before the big game. The coaches were just, I mean, shocked and, and livid. Um, they ended up trying to see if he could play, but the head coach was like, nah, man, this dude is having, you know, a horrible issue. Ended up, again, hospitalizing him. He ended up staying um, in some sort of, like, mental kind of hospitalization for, like, three months after the game. How can you believe that? Of course, the Raiders ended up, you know, getting whomped that game by the Bucks. Um, a lot of people say that it wasn't to do anything about him. They were going to probably lose anyways. But you can't help to, help to think that having their, you know, starting center, he was a pro bowler that year, you know, missed the game. Couldn't, you know, how could that be? How could that not weigh on that fucking offense? I mean, what do you think? Have you heard that story? Yeah, I do remember the Raiders are really good around that time. And you're right when you talk about him being the uh, the general, the center on the field. The the Bucks have a great center, and he fucking mans the field too for this year. But I just need the. I think we definitely need to highlight the fact that he had some, he has some really bad mental health issues that were misdiagnosed to begin with. Yeah, you talk about him being diagnosed for depression, and they found out, I don't know, 10, 15 years later that it was actually bi- manic bipolar bipolar disorder. But Yeah, no, exactly. You're right. Yeah, I read that. That, of course, in, in TCU, when he first got diagnosed, it was just all they had was, oh, I guess, depression. But bipolar disorder and manic bipolar disorder, you know, very different diagnosis. Very different. In many cases, different. Yeah, different, you know, it, it, it shows itself differently, so. I heard stories about the, his wife talking about him waking up some days, eating breakfast, and then going straight back to bed. And the I think it was just a combination of the stress of the Super Bowl and everything, and obviously his, his disorder and just everything weighing down on him. He went on a crazy binge field rage in, in, in Mexico I heard that he got two or three prostitutes. Uh, he and he did multiple drugs, and yeah, when he showed up, he was so disoriented. They didn't know if he was just just uh, out of it on alcohol or if it was a combination of drugs, and he couldn't even remember half the stuff. But it's a very sad story, yeah. and he is still currently getting help for his mental health issues because it's been a challenge his whole life, from what I've read. Yeah, he had been he had been jailed with uh, some you know some petty crimes uh, that had been building up and stuff in his in his life and you know he had been in and out of jail for now um, but yeah still struggling with it I think like you said you know the whole misdiagnosis was important um, but even more importantly I think um, he was diagnosed with something the fact that nobody on the team you know at least from what I read or what I you know did my you know little research about. Nobody really was was there for him and had a support system, and I think it's because you know sports have such a, um, at least historically, it's starting to slowly change now. But historically, it had such a like machismo thing about like you know you deal with your issues and and deal with it like a man and just get it done, you know, where we know mental health is you know the complete opposite of that. You need a support system. You need a you need, you need a web to fall back on, and to think that a Super Bowl caliber team you know, couldn't um, keep their, you know, center, the, 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 
most important piece of your offense next to the quarterback, you couldn't protect him from himself? Seems crazy to me. Yeah, he was able to sneak out after curfew on that on that day, and no one, I mean, yeah, it makes you think a lot of questions on who was there to look after him or help him out. I mean, this wasn't a new thing. He had had issues like this before. It's it's really sad when you think when when you think about how he didn't even get to play in the game and yeah they got destroyed in the game too and a lot of the players were just angry at him for for leaving and back then especially it, it's hard to understand it's hard to to grasp but yeah when you're feeling that kind of hurt and that that kind of pain then you need you need a lot of help around you. Um, just one thing to close it out, um, to kind of go to show you what type of manic um, situation he was in. Uh, he said that at one point when he was partying and that he came to, um, he was like, oh, shit, I'm, I'm, I'm in TJ. I'm fucking going crazy. I'm going ham. He was like, yeah, I'm doing this because we already won the Super Bowl. Like homeboy thought Saturday night or Saturday morning, should I say, they had already won the Super Bowl. That's that's insane. Poor guy. I mean, again, and I hope all, um, you know, individuals listening to this, if you have issues with mental illness, go get help. And I hope that the, you know, these uh, major sports leagues understand that mental health is a huge aspect, especially for athletes, you know, in COVID times, playing and not getting out and blowing off steam the way they, you know, used to. Mental health is a big aspect, man. But uh, yeah, crazy story. Um, moving on, man. How about you? You got some. Uh, you got some old, uh, some old Super Bowl stories you want to share with us? Yeah, for sure. I did uh, some research and found a couple of interesting stories that I wasn't too well aware of beforehand. One of them from my favorite team, the Dallas Cowboys. Cowboys were definitely a force in the 70s. The Cowboys won the most regular season games of any other franchise during that span. And they made it to five different Super Bowls in that one decade. They only won two. One of the ones one of the ones that they lost, and they got beat twice by the Steelers. Super Bowl 13. Thomas Hollywood Henderson was able to sneak in some cocaine. Cocaine's a hell of a drug. During the game. Do you know how he snuck it in, Nick? <laughs> I do, I do. It's one of the easier ways to do cocaine without people fucking knowing you're doing cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> he, yeah, so he was able to, uh, according to what I read, he was able to to have it just in a little um, no spray uh, container, just in case, just in case. Yeah, like a, a nasal, a nasal kind of nasal spa- spray, a squeezer thing. Yeah. And he was, he, uh, uh, from what I read, he did it once before the game started, <laughs> and once before the third quarter. And Chiloco. let's just say. He was able to force a, a fumble out of Terry Bradshaw that led to a touchdown. So, I mean, I, I, I mean, he still played good. The Cowboys lost 35-31. to 31. 
but crazy times back then. And you think somebody would be willing to do that now? I mean, you think that would be possible nowadays? Uh, yeah, no, 100%. 100%. I mean, <laughs> uh, whether it's cocaine or some sort of other illicit drug, um, for sure. Funny fact, um, the previous story, Barrett Robbins, uh, he later uh, got involved or you know was dragged down his reputation further with the fact that he was involved with Balco. Uh, the Bay Area fucking oh, I did hear about that. Yeah, he was part of that crew that hooked up Marion Jones, huh? Yeah, and so at the end of the day, like whether it's the 70s or the 2020s, I mean, people want to get the edge. And whether that's a little fucking yay before the game in a snow spray or in the third quarter before crunch time, uh, or it's some sort of, you know, crazy sort of enhancing drugs that we have now, man. It's, it's crazy. One other uh, story that I read about back in Super Bowl 32, talking about people that had some issues before the game, uh, Falcon safety, Eugene Robinson, he was arrested the night before the game for uh, soliciting an undercover police officer posing as a prostitute. Bro, just go to your room, squeeze one out, and go to Mimi's. (laughs) What's what's so ironic about this is that earlier in the day, he had been given some kind of award that exemplifies outstanding character and leadership in the home, on the field, and in the community. Maybe he was just trying to help out the, the Miami community, I guess. I don't know. Right. Even though this did happen... He was able to play in the game. Uh, do you have any idea what happened in the game, Nick? Uh, God, I can't remember what what happened. No, he did score. I think he scored twice. No, well, he's a safety, and let's just say that they played the Broncos and they got crushed, thirty-four nineteen. And uh, specifically, uh, he led an eighty-yard touchdown goal, so not a good game for him at all. But that's I mean, one thing that we kind of hark back to on the previous story. It had an effect on the team nonetheless. Uh, you know, that's one of the things you mentioned that a lot of people thought that, oh, well, the Raiders were going to lose no matter what. I don't know about that. I don't, I don't know about that because they were pretty good. But it definitely has an effect on the team because some players were mentioning that, that it, it made a factor that, that instead of being there with it, with them mentally, he, he was out doing his thing or trying to do his thing, you know. Night before like the said, biggest that, game of your life, you some players never get a chance. That. I do not understand that. I do not understand that, man. And one other, one of the, one of the uh, other uh, crazy stories that we just have to talk about. It, it, it's not a crazy story, but more specifically the actual game, and uh, that is a uh, Super Bowl Fifty One. Falcons against Patriots. Patriots are getting their ass completely handed to them, 28-3. to Come back, force the first overtime game in Super Bowl history to take it. What do you remember about this game, Nick? I remember that it was fucking boring. I remember at halftime or after halftime, I was like, I'm going to stay up for halftime, obviously. 
but like third quarter started my feet were up i was laying on the couch not even paying attention and i remember at some point you know fucking brady converts you know this long third down to put them in scoring range to to you know make the lead um you know under seven and i'm like oh my god is this really fucking happening it was it was just the one one of the biggest 180 turnarounds of a game I've ever seen of any any sport live. I don't think anyone had ever seen a wilder comeback. One of the Falcons players, uh, their center, he played the game with a broken uh, the fracture in his uh, tibula, and when they asked oh him after the game how he felt, his answer was depressed. Uh, like not even oh man my legs hurting I just I mean they were winning 28 to 3 they never scored the rest of the game they took him into overtime uh and you know what the Patriots did to even add even more salt to the wounds you know anything about their Super Bowl rings Nick oh god no, I don't know anything specific, but as soon as you tell me, I'll be like, oh, I fucking want to say I knew that. <laughs> yeah, because Super Bowl 51, I mean, these are the times of wild, extravagant things. They had a total of 283 diamonds in each ring. Just a reminder. 28 to 3. Just a reminder. 28 to 3. Oh, my God. <laughs> they could always look at I knew at it was going to be that. God damn. <laughs> They were losing by more than 20 fucking points in the Super Bowl, and they came back, and the fuckers didn't even score. Uh, Their their running back, Freeman, he had almost 80 yards rushing, 45 yards passing. He never got the ball afterwards. They just – I mean, what do you you think? Is it it bigger uh, Patriots accomplishment or more just a Falcons implosion? Man – if I had to say it, I'm going to say the the Falcons imploding. Um, because just like you said, I was going to talk about how they gave a lot of flack to the offensive coordinator for not running the ball. Slow the clock. The clock is on your side. Like, if you have one of the best young running backs, Antonio Freeman at the time, like, fucking, you know, feed him. Feed this man. And burn that clock. Give um, Brady less fucking time to do his magic. And the man can do magic. Him, and I hate to say it, I don't like him. I don't like fucking Aaron Rodgers. But there is some of the best fucking two-minute drill quarterbacks that I've seen in my lifetime. That was a wild, wild, wild end. What we got next? New music or what? Let's do some. Let's do some new music, man. Like uh, we've always said here at the MGH podcast, you come here to hear these wild, crazy, stupid stories, but you're always gonna get some new music. So I think Brian, you're first, man. What do you got for us? Hell yeah! My first choice is gonna be a trio of ladies, go by the name of Palberta. They are. Out with their new album, simply titled Palberta 5000, probably because they turn it up a couple thousand notches. You know anything about them, Nick? Never heard of them. 
they're, they're, uh, the song here you're going to hear is called Big Bad Want. Best way I can describe it is it's guitar-driven rock. I'm really enjoying it because it's hella catchy, but also got that dissonance in the in the background where the chords are just clashing. They got those driving drums. The voices are intertwined. The songs are repetitive, but very, very catchy and melodic. So let's check out right here, Palberta, Big Bad Wong. nice I, I really need some like you said guitar driven drum heavy fucking rock in my life for some some hard runs man someone i gonna have to give those girls uh, a better listen uh for my choice with the new music um this is a single by uh, a man that we call Bordy. now that's how it's pronounced but the spelling is is crazy b-o-a um D-I. So it looks like it says Bowdy or Bodhi, but it's pronounced Bwerdy. Uh The man hails from uh, originally Ghana, moved to the UK as a, a teenager, uh, been growing up there since. Um, just a beautiful voice, very talented vocally. Um, this track we're going to listen to entitled uh, Walk uh, just really shows off his talent in my eyes. Um, He's all over the place showing you his subtleties and, you know, showing off with a kind of showy, you know, um, crazy voice. But you get a great taste of his ability to jump back and forth between, you know, you know traditional R&B, soul, um, as well as like jazz um, and funk. So uh, let's check it out. Wordy Walk. Drowning. In a pool of emotions And these days I try and walk Away from my sins But when I walk I can barely clear my head 
And it's just scabba do that day when I walk So those are our first picks for our uh, new music segment. Um, like we promised, Super Bowl stories, you know, the theme of the big game. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about some current issues with the Super Bowl. Uh, so, Brian, kick us off, man. What interesting topics do you got from this upcoming Super Bowl, February 7th, the Bucks versus the Chiefs? My biggest concern is, do you think there's a chance that Andy Reid is going to wear the face guard, have it all fogged up again? Is it possible? Bro, as long as he takes off the face mask that looked like Chornes on his face, bro. Those That looks specifically like someone especially made it for him. Let me make you this special face mask because, you know, he wanted something. I'm rooting for Andy Reid, but... We got to talk about the Chiefs and their crazy barber. Did you hear about that? Yes, and it's inconscionable that they let this happen in my eyes. But tell the people what happened. The Chiefs had a long line of 20 or 30 players. Mr. Patrick Mahomes, one of them. And the barber had already done a couple of uh, haircuts and in the middle of the third haircut that he got his test results, he tested positive. This happened, I think, Monday or Tuesday. So they right away put the two players that had already got in the haircut on the COVID list as close contacts. And uh, Mahomes got saved from uh, being a close contact. Uh, but, I mean, what a wild story when you think about it. All these players that could have been in a much more precarious situation. I mean, I just don't understand how this happens in the very first place. Uh, the first thing is this is a pandemic. We're talking about a multi-million dollar uh, organization. Why don't they secure themselves a team barber that stays, um, you know, quarantined just like the players or stays out yeah. of contact with just like the players? He's a part of their yeah. staff, you know. He travels with them. He he stays out of. Why doesn't that have that you know be an option? One and then two. How do you let a barber come in and start cutting hair before you get the result back? <laughs> There's a couple of solutions I can think to this. First, they should invest in those uh, badass uh, COVID sniffing dogs. Let's get those dogs. You know, honestly, I have heard nothing about that. You know, you know, you know about COVID sniffing dogs. Yes, it's crazy about animals, man. 
fucking dogs especially so intelligent and they have trained dogs to be able to sniff people that have covid and the dogs will go up to them and will just stand right in front of them to let them know this is somebody and they'll escort them out and these dogs are like 95 percent accurate or something uh, you know, that is that is definitely an option. But in the case of, a, again, a multi-million dollar organization, it's not hard for them to get a PCR test, fucking run it, well, you know, just it takes 20 minutes. Multi-million dollar organization like the Miami Heat have been using these COVID sniffing dogs at their games to get these people out of the games that have COVID. These dogs know <laughs> I, I just, way. clinically speaking, there's no way that that would work because... Um, if they're 95% accurate, there might be a chance that the dog is like, no, the barber's good. And then he cuts all this hair and, you know, I guarantee you the dog would everybody. not say the barber's good. That barber shows up <laughs> and that dog right away would be like, no, get that fucker out of here. Okay. The other option no, that's is crazy. like we've been doing, bro, cut your own hair. Talk to us, Brian. You, uh, barely started this, uh, self cutting hair journey, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I think the I lasted uh, several months, and it, you even saw me a couple of times that we house partied my long ass hair. And after a point, I I just couldn't take it. You come to that realization that things are not gonna get good or close to normal anytime soon. And knowing yourself as someone that doesn't like to take risks and tries to be as careful as possible, I have this little razor that I use for my beard and it has different settings and uh, different guards and just busted that one out one day on my hair. I remember Sarah helped me the first time she kind of was doing the sides and I saw how easy it was. And then I just took it to myself. I got the mirror and put one behind me so that I could see behind and on the sides and just started going at it. And at first I was trying to cut it the way I normally do with a little bit on the top to the side, you know, like we say, leisure root style. <laughs> and then after a while, I noticed that it was difficult with the top with the scissors and I couldn't get a, a, a good handle for it. And again, I realized that we're not going to go to any type of normalcy soon. So I just been cutting it to straight zero on the sides and a fade to the one to the top and super short military cut, basically. Last week, I was kind of pissed off at myself because I gave myself a little cut on the back of my head with my razor, but that was just my mistake. And then I have a shitload of moles all over my head, a bunch of moles. I look like a huge chocolate chip. So that was hard at first, uh, learning how to gauge that to not cut myself. And I had a couple of moles that I would have that I cut myself, but overall, it's been worth it. I'm glad to hear your experience has been, you know, uh, interesting and good in the end. Because, uh, I mean, I have uh, a very long history cutting my hair. Uh, I always I always tell people um, my mother basically was tired of getting me haircuts, like, in middle school. Every two weeks, you know, every three weeks because I wanted to, you know, I wanted to have a nice haircut. She was not having that shit, and she basically got me a Christmas gift of clippers, I think, my freshman year of high school. 
and shit i thought it was cool i was like all right interesting let me see how i can do this and family let me tell you this was <laughs> these were the days before youtube these are the days before how you could find all these tutorials and uh, i had no clue what the fuck i was doing but i just kind of used common sense and remember what i saw the barbers do when i used to get haircuts so uh i set on the set out on the journey of cutting my own hair and uh, like Brian said, he went to the to the uh, the short uh, cut real quick, as did I. But through the years, you know, I, I really started to learn how to fade better and how to do the top with uh, without you know the crazy scissor action, you know. <laughs> um, but I will say this: my mom did me a favor because she saved money and she taught her son how to fucking save money because since I've been. You know, growing and shit. I've paid for maybe 10 haircuts in my entire life as a grown man. Because most of the time I fucking cut my own hair, man. And it's so easy because I know so many times that dudes are like, fuck, it's Friday night. I, I, you know, I can't go get a haircut. Nothing's open right now. Shit. When you're the barber, man, I'm always open. <laughs> yeah, the, those those last points are exactly what I, what I, exactly what what really makes the makes it worth it is that in the end you're you're saving on the the inconvenience of having to sit somewhere and wait until they call your name and now especially with covid times going to a barber shop and getting your haircut that's scary to think about and you're saving money yeah one of the things that i definitely want to bring up is Bruce Arians and him bringing the most diverse coaching staff in the history to the big game, to the to the big one, the superb Al. And if they win, he'll be the oldest coach to ever win the Super Bowl. Really? That is, you know what? Bruce Arians always has had a stylish flair to him. And you know what? That stylish flair has made him look young all the all these years. Because for him to be the oldest, that's crazy. He doesn't seem the oldest. He was sixty when he first became a coach, after being an assistant for twenty years or something. And that was only because the coach that he took over uh, got diagnosed with cancer, so he came on as an interim in an interim role. And kept it. So maybe I don't maybe maybe Bruce Arians empathizes with having to it it does so I, I can think of many different uh organizations corporations where it doesn't matter how good you are you have to do your time so maybe that's why he empathizes and he's bringing along uh, a coordination uh of coaches here all three of his uh coordinators Defense, offense, and special teams are black. Todd Bowles, Byron Leftwich, Keith Armstrong. That's defense, offense, special teams, respectively. And their assistant head coach, run game coordinator, Harold Goodwin. So, I mean, first of all, major props, Bruce Arians. What a badass man. <clears throat> on top of that, he's got eight other assistants on his staff. Five primary position coaches also are black. And in addition, he has two women on his staff. 
He's got assistant defensive line coach Lori Locust and assistant strength and conditioning coach Moral Javad Defar. Wow, man, that's really fucking badass, dude. Like, um, to see all those um, black coaches who, and I remember Byron Leftwich, man. He, I remember him as a fucking player. Um, to see him giving all those black guys uh, a chance in the league uh, when other teams aren't hiring that fucking amount, and then to give women a, a, a seat at the table in a man sport, oh, that's beautiful. Uh, someone who you know comes to mind is uh, Mr. Greg Popovich of the uh, San Antonio Spurs, and uh, him using Becky Hammond as a, an assistant, but. You know, props to both of them, and it's gonna make me it make me hard to to root against uh, uh, the Bucks tomorrow. Yeah, I know. I mean Sunday. That's exactly how I feel too. It's a bummer. Bruce Arians comes from a family of uh, a dad that uh, grew up uh, working seven days a week. He said the night shift. His mom is still alive. He said ninety five years old. She's gonna be at the game. But just to see a coach out there giving so much opportunities when exactly the league doesn't, you have a league that is primarily majority of players of color, and there's just so few black coaches out there, Hispanic coaches, coaches of color. You know, yeah, Bruce Arians is giving, it's trying to give him all the opportunities, you know, so... Let's close it out here with his quote that I found, uh, Bruce Arians here. And, you know, that's one of the things I love about him is he's very uh, frank, very, very just to the point. Inclusivity and diversity are great ways to teach. The more input you have from different types of voices, the better output you get. Wow. I mean... It makes sense, man. Yeah. It makes sense. This country should be about celebrating our diversity. And growing up, I thought that's what they were teaching us in school. But for so many um, in this country, diversity is something not to be celebrated. It's something yeah. to be shunned. And even it's, in the shows, that, uh, be even the shows that we watch, I can think of all the shows uh, around the horn. It, it, it's much better when they got the... And they got a diverse group of panelists discussing different topics. A, a lot of there's there's a lot of different views and uh, yeah, there's a lot of different ways of uh, of thinking and doing things. Believe it or not. So, what you gotta talk about, Nate? What, what's what kind what kind of Super Bowl stories you want to talk about? So, uh, yeah, so Ka- Kaepernick, obviously, um, was why I bring him up. Um, and I think to myself, I think to myself, um, Kaepernick was a great player. I mean, he he was able to get his team to the Super Bowl, uh, a feat so many quarterbacks couldn't do. Tony Romo, considered by so many fucking Cowboy fans as a, a great quarterback, couldn't get him there. Wow. But yet here we have Kaepernick. You know, taking the 49ers all the way to the all the way to the fucking big game. Um, And I think to myself, why isn't he in the league still? And of course, we all know why. We all know why. Because of his activism, because of the fact that he wanted to call attention to um, BLM, uh, 
And of course, the fact that he said, I'm going to respectfully kneel for the national anthem and call attention to the injustices that the people of my race are suffering in this country. And that's the only reason that he is not in the league as of now. Yet, tomorrow, or Sunday, almost tomorrow, um, you're going to see two players on both sides of the ball who have had serious run-ins with the law. And I would, you know, maybe argue more serious run-ins than anything Kaepernick has ever brought upon the league. And, uh, of course, I'm talking about Mr. Antonio Brown. I'm going to start with him because I can't stand him. But uh, he has a pending uh, rape case, um, who I believe is brought upon him by a former friend and trainer, a female. Um, That came up last year. Um, Of course, we know the Steelers ended up waiving him. Uh, He went to Oakland and more charges were brought up. Um, They waived him. He had a huge publicity um, or public kind of intrusion or should I say recording of him talking to the police, you know, super ugly and telling his um, baby's mother to, you know, leave his property. Um, But apparently he got the chagrin of uh, Mr. Tom Brady and he's taken him under his wing and the Bucks have gladly welcomed him into their organization. And whether or not he plays Sunday, because I hear he's um, coming off a knee injury, you know, the fact that this man has the opportunity to, you know, win a ring, uh, win the, you know, greatest achievement a football, a football player can get is crazy to me when you got, again, Kaepernick on the sidelines. Uh, when you got guys like um, Ray Rice, who who uh, obviously served their time and, and served their fucking punishment, just completely not welcome back into the league. Uh, the other person on the other side of the ball, Tyreek Hill. Tell me, Brian. Does Tyreek Hill excite you as a receiver? Does he excite me as a receiver? Yeah, is he exciting to you? Is is he uh, you know someone that you know you like to watch? Yeah. I mean, to me, the reason why I ask is because I think he's totally taking the place of Antonio Brown. Antonio Brown used to be the most exciting. Uh, receiver to, to see in the league and then of course he had all his issues and fell out of the you know graces of the league until the Bucks brought him back um, but Tyreek Hill has totally filled that void um, I mean his speed his ability to catch crazy balls I mean um, it's crazy to see his athleticism but again this man has a tainted pass and this isn't a smear piece this isn't, I don't want to shit on these guys, you know, because they have their, their day in court and, you know, they've, they're innocent until proven guilty. But Tyreek Hill has already, you know, been um, redressed by the judicial system. I don't know if you know this, but uh, he had been arrested for punching his pregnant girlfriend in the stomach and choking her, dog? Yeah, that's, that's what I was going to, totally, I totally understand where you're coming from on highlighting these people that are still being able to play after their actions. A lot of it has to do with the fact that they're stars. We have to mention that players that aren't big stars that do these kind of things, they don't get a second chance. Like the 
you heard about the recent story with the loser from the from the Seahawks, the tight end. Wheeler, yeah, fuck the, that. Did 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 the, media the, even touch the, about the disgusting, touch, touch the fact yeah. that he did that? The, and and he's uh, he he's automatically banished from the league because he's a nobody, and you have these other people that like Hunt and yeah, like you mentioned Tyreek Hill that that did bad things and they get a year uh, of being banished or half a year or a few games and. And they're back because they're stars because they bring in the money. So that that's that's the first reason why this happens. <clears throat> and it, whether whether it was the whether it was the Chiefs and the Bucks, you could bring in any other two teams, and it, we would be talking about the same thing about how there's yeah. players, you know, there, there's players in the league everywhere. And and you're right, you're right about Kaepernick. Every when I get really pissed off about Kaepernick is when I see all these backups that get pulled off the practice squads, Colt McCoy, all these uh, um, Brock Osweiler. You can't. You telling me Kaepernick's not better than them? You you're telling me Kaepernick is not better than them? All these backups that get all these chances, and you can't bring in Kaepernick. And then on top of that, they want to. Uh, Goodell has come out and said, "Oh, well, we were kind of wrong, maybe on admonishing Kaepernick." Well, then bring him back. Why can't a team bring him back already? It, it's it's completely wrong. I agree with you. All right, man. So yeah, that closes it up. We know the NFL is, uh, you know, like so many institutions in this. And world we know that Kaepernick shit. deserves a chance. God damn it! All right, bring him back, man. Stop blackballing the man. Um, but let's talk about to finish out the Super Bowl, you know, uh, theme of the uh, episode. Let's talk about what so many people that don't even fucking follow football tune in to watch, and that's either the national anthem, um, or the motherfucking halftime show. Oh, uh, so that is uh, that is a big thing for so many people around the world. So man, um, I wanted to go with like some great musical performance, and I I went through all these different ideas. I even thought about doing uh, you know the Coldplay year where Bruno Mars and Beyonce came out, and Beyonce got all the white people fucking scared. Oh, thank God, you because she that. looked militant. Um, but no, I decided to go with something that I think the collective consciousness has kind of forgotten. I've even kind of forgotten. Because when you look back in, in, you know, retrospect, it's such a fucking crazy, you know, incident that happened uh, that year. But I'm talking about Nipplegate, the halftime show that featured Janet Jackson um, along with Justin Timberlake. Um, That year it was um, produced by MTV. And, of course, MTV had been doing the MTV Music Awards for so many years. So, you know, they were pretty adept in putting on, you know, pretty big theatrical performances. Um, Fast forward through the halftime show, you know, Janet Jackson did her Rhythm Nation thing. Uh, Justin Timberlake threw out his, you know, solo stuff. They end up finishing the show and uh, they're actually doing a Justin Timberlake song. Um... And right as the fucking song ends, the lyric goes, I want to have you naked by the end of this song. And Justin Timberlake reaches over 
and rips off a part of the bustier of Miss Janet Jackson, revealing titty pops out, but like there's like some sort of nipple ring on top of it. And all of America gasped like a fucking church lady in unison that year. It was fucking insane. Um, well, not less, less. Okay, let's clarify. Okay, first of all, did you gasp? Hell yeah, I gasped. I oh, mean, maybe okay. not audibly. Right. You hesitated. I fucking did not gasp. I saw that and I was just like, whoa. <laughs> you did a whoa? That's the same thing. If you did any sort of maybe reaction, I didn't say it out loud, gasp. but I thought it. There's a big difference between being <gasps> and whoa, you know, it's just, come on. <laughs> I mean, let's just say that I think she said that she was okay with it, that they were in agreement that they were going to do that, right? Yeah, so it's um, it's something that I think um, in like history, lore, internet lore, whatever you want to say, will never be like truly um, understood. But there are accounts that she was like, yeah, we kind of agreed. And like I said, it makes sense because the song says, you know, I want to have you naked by the end of the song. <laughs> and like, why would he do that? What was the purpose of him doing that? There could have been only one yeah. result by his actions. You know, that's what's really good about this episode too is that now we're getting into how the music dissects with the sports, and that's what's unfortunately remembered about this Super Bowl, and not the fact that it was a great game because this was the game where uh, uh, the Panthers almost beat the Patriots in a crazy thriller. It ended up being what thirty-five, thirty-one. The Patriots yep. barely escaped, but instead of being remembered for that, it's remembered for uh, what you call it, Nipplegate. Nipplegate. Well, I had no idea. All right, man. So that's my little, you know, fucking hey, memorable musical great story, performance. Man. Um, I know you're gonna bring it with uh, more musical fucking flair. So, talk to us. Uh, what one you thing. Got. Uh, one thing I, I know I didn't mention too much, but I, I definitely have to just recognize because. I know you and I, we've been talking a lot about how we love just, we love those rags to riches stories. And we have to recognize that the weekend is going to be performing tomorrow. And even though his latest string of albums haven't been my favorites and haven't definitely been something that, that I play around all the time. And I love his, uh, his first three mixtapes the most. But there was a time that the weekend was struggling and he is a man that was homeless for a while and he's going to be performing i'm definitely looking forward to it are you you know i actually am too because i know he's gonna like i feel like his he's gonna go off right he's gonna go on he's gonna be badass you know how he showed up to what award show did you show up to with like all these bandages and shit looking weird oh it's part of his theme or whatever i (laughs) think that that is just showing you a little bit of about his like flair that he's going to show this Super Bowl. Like, I think he's going to do some crazy shit, bro. He's going to have some kind of crazy cameos, guest appearances. I'm thinking of what kind of covers he's going to do. He's got to do maybe a cover to. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. And that's what I, I'm I think that he deserves his some credit, some credit there. And I wanted to talk about my older musical Super Bowl story, Mr. Prince 
the man, the one and only from Minnesota, the sign, the, the sign. symbol, Prince. What you remember about that performance, Nick? Oh, shit, I do remember. I was like, how is he not going to get electrocuted out there? It's fucking raining cats and dogs. <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, that was, uh, when, uh, Purple Rain started, I think, huh? Purple Rain. <laughs> I love this performance because he did a lot of covers on this performance. I think he did some CCR, Proud Mary. He did a couple of songs off that Purple Rain album. And he really got into it. But he didn't do anything off my favorite album, Sign All the Times. And that, that album is a. I guess you can consider it a double album. But it's just Prince at his most creative, showing off all his styles funk, he's got soul. Straight up R&B, pop. He also made that into a, a documentary at the same time when the album released. So it's a little film. And he didn't play anything uh, in the Super Bowl performance. But that performance was electric. And he had everyone just... Feeling good. I never meant to cause you any sorrow. I never meant to cause you any pain. I didn't want to one time see you laughing, babe. Only want to see you, see you laughing, yeah, in the purple rain. Don't it feel good? Only wanna see you, see you. Can I play this guitar? So let's go into uh, some new music. Um, this is going to be our second new music spot, man. Uh, Brian, I know you have one of our mutually favorite artists, a beat maker, Supreme. Uh, talk to us about your, your second new music choice. Yeah, for reals. One of our favorite beat makers, Mr. Mad Lib, Mr. Otis Jackson Jr., this one is a uh, sort of a collaboration with Fortet, Mr. Kieran Hebden. Madlib does the sounds, all the beats, all the music, and Fortet does the editing, arranging, and the mastering. 
And what I really like about the album is that Mad Lib has a way of taking all these sounds that are really, really old and packaging them in a way that are easy to to take in. And he makes a, an album that, to me, sounds soulful, but... That's why I think the sound, the the uh, title is great. Sound ancestors. He's taking all these old sounds. The last track is uh, this uh, like 1950s footage uh, audio of these black kids uh, just singing and in, in, in like, like a tribal fashion, like the first origins of hip hop. But what do you think about the album, Nick? You know, I liked it. Like you said. Um I didn't know the exact duties that Fortet, you know, took. So, you know, you saying that, like, you know, Mad Lib did this much and then Fortet had the ability to, like, edit it and stuff. I definitely heard that Um, because Mad Lib, I mean, he's a beat man. And sometimes you get a little bit too into your beats that you don't know exactly how to, you know, form formulate like a, a song and stuff. And so... I think Fortet really helped him kind of, you know, make songs, you know, four, three to three and a half to four and a half minute, you know, tracks that like are digestible, like you said, making old songs, you know, super easily fucking listened to by by listeners. Um, I just feel like some of his rawness might have been, you know, um, what's the word? taken aback by my maybe maybe uh, Fortet's uh editing and stuff um I do feel like it's an homage to uh donuts for sure I don't know who um whether it was uh Mad Libs Beats or Fortet's production and stuff and the after afterward um had something to do with that but uh I did I did kind of have that feeling um it was a great album you know I don't I don't know if it was uh anything that could be even spoken in the same breath as uh, an album like Donuts, though. So I'll say that. Yeah, there's a track on it called Two for Two for Dilla. That's the track that I'm going to point out. I like this one a lot because it does sound like a uh, homage, definitely, to uh, Jay Dilla. And I know that for sure Mad Lib has been feeling... Uh, definite hard uh, sadness because he lost uh, Mr. MF Doom. Uh, rest in uh, power there, Mr. Doom. And now after uh, losing uh, Dilla, it's just Mad Lib. Uh, so this uh, track here is uh, first half. Sounds like a definite mashup. If y'all never have heard the uh, collaboration they made, J-Lib, yeah, check that out second half is just really soulful jam and you can tell it's just pure love to his homie makes it sound very bittersweet but i think that for a lot of the stuff that madlib has made lately as far as just beats for other uh, rappers and he's made some pretty epic albums and epic songs even for his this is i think his proper debut i liked it and i think that it's really uh sprawling a lot of different sounds combining them all 
and it's one of those albums that's only gonna get better with more listens. The more we listen to it, it's gonna sound even better by the summer and even the end of the year. So let's check out this track. Two for two for Dilla. Mad Lib and Fortet. Nice man, my fucking man lives the, the man. Um, so my uh, second uh, musical choice here is gonna be um, a new cat named Aaron Fraser. Um, you know, very soulful singer. Um, I do want to note about this man's voice is that it's very, um, you know, you're what's the word? And <laughs> androgynous. Androgynous. I was going to say Andromeda and ambidextrous. No, the <laughs> word is, uh, what was it, Brian? Androgynous. Androgynous. So I like voices that are androgynous. But no, man, this dude, Aaron Fraser, he's doing it soulful. He has androgynous voice to me. It's hard, kind of, you know, is it like a high-pitched male voice or is it like a, you know, slightly more masculine female voice? Who knows? Um, but uh, he's, he's really great. His... Um, track that i want to fucking talk about here is called done lion and uh you know it's the real ode to like vintage um r&b soul with like a little bit of uh rock infusion so let's check it out Oh, 
So I'm going to let you uh, take us home with a, a little bit of sports talk to, to ease us talk. off all the fucking um, Super Bowl shit that's being said in this podcast thus far. But uh, what's going on in the sports world with us? Latest thing is I've been watching a lot of uh, basketball. I know you have, too. And we got to talk about the fact that they are thinking about having or they're probably realistically going to have an All-Star game in Atlanta. What do you think about that? Uh, so most of me is saying there is completely no reason. Um, but a part of me that loves the game and understands the evil economics that come with these fucking, you know, businesses and organizations. And it's understood that things like the all-star game are very important to the livelihood of all the people that make the NBA season happen, you know? Um, so I, I, I see a small part of me understanding that like, Hey, if we can do it safe, you know, it's impossible to have a bubble, but can we have some sort of bubble, like some sort of outer bubble that like nobody else can get in except players coming in and they get like tested before they enter. Like it's possible. It is possible. And if anybody can do it, I think the NBA can. I just think they're setting a bad president president by they were the very cautious have the bubble that's the right way to do it and now as the season has progressed they've gotten more 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 lax more willy-nilly with their protocols and it shows a, a side of recklessness if you ask me and furthermore they've completely deceive the players because they told them they were going to have a few days off a little break because you had a condensed off season because we're squeezing in squeezing in the whole season and after this they're going to go to the olympics so the players thought they were going to have a little break which makes a lot more sense than going to atlanta to play uh a game in front of no fans part of the nba all-star is the weekend the festivities and all of it not just the game the game is just like the end outcome of uh, just a bunch of them dunking with no defense well i would just say um at least your reference to the olympics like the nba has no absolutely no reason to bend the knee to the olympics we have our own product, and it's called the NBA, and nobody is tuning into the Olympics for basketball, or at least a small fraction are. Give and me everybody's a break. tuning in. The NBA players are the biggest stars at the Olympics. No, they're not. It's the track yes, stars. More people. No, globally speaking, people are turning in for track, globally swimming, speaking, gymnastics. Everyone there okay? is looking at the NBA players like they're gods. Okay, well, I mean, again, the NBA has no reason to, again, bend the knee and say, oh, we're going to no, do some I'm just sort of concession for the Olympics because just, they have a tougher it's schedule. It's not necessary. It's 
no, no point okay. to it. That but that's not a reason to They're be gonna brought. have it. So let's talk about who should be playing in it. <laughs> who do you got in the Western Conference, your guards? Oh, I didn't know I was gonna be quizzed on my lineups. Shit. Okay, Western Conference, guards. Um, we got um Mr. Steph Kerr oh, at the one who's playing point. Oh, Paul Paul fucking Chris Paul at the one. I mean, just veteran, he's my choice. Um, at the two, I'm going to have Steph Curry. He has a bunch of scrubs around him and still fucking balling out. At the three, give me Devin Booker. Um, yeah, yeah, that's, that's enough. You just need two guards. Now, who do you got on the front court? Uh, Western Conference. We're going to have Djokovic. Goddamn. Um... Literally looking at the MVP and Djokovic. then at center, Jokic, Jokic, Joker. I was joke. Who's Jokovic? The tennis player? Yeah. Okay, Jokic. Um, also Serbian, I believe they're both Serbian. Um, and then at the five, fuck, who do I have at the five in the West? Um, does yeah, Anthony Davis. Mm-hmm. So there you go. That's my fucking all-star in the West. You tell me, bitch. What do you have different? Uh, uh, The guards, I would do Steph and Damian Lillard. And the front court, LeBron James. Jokic. And, yeah, Anthony Davis. So of course you um, you substituted um, LeBron and Lillard. I just I love I love Dame. He's just Portland's well, not doing who was your other guard? You said Steph and who else? Oh, Chris Paul. Uh, yeah, I mean uh, like Steph is going I mean, off, but Dame. Chris Dame Paul is, is a one. Off. Who was your one? Uh, Steph. Steph is not a one, bro. He's a shooting guard. He's not a point. I don't feel. Well, yeah, I would do I would do Steph I would do Steph as a one and then Dame as a two. I wouldn't because I, I don't see. And then from there, I got I got LeBron, Jokic, and Anthony Davis just trading off on the inside. That would be that would be my my Western Conference. What about Eastern Conference? Who's your guards? Jeez, I don't even know. Um, Bradley Beal is two. Yes, I love Bradley Beal. He's having a year. Who's my one in the Eastern? Yeah, Three. what's sad is that if you're looking for Embiid, a straight one, it would probably five. be like Go Kyrie ahead. or James Harden. I just don't like Kyrie, bro. Oh, I don't like yeah, Kyrie. me neither. I wanted to say I would him, do, but I don't like him. I would do Bradley Beal and Jalen Brown. I don't think Jalen Brown is doing good. For sure, I got Chris uh, Tatum at my three. I really like Zach Levine. Oh, he's having a really good year with the Bulls, but they suck so bad. All right, who do you got on the front court? Um, Embiid, he's having a great year. Did he hurt himself tonight? Embiid, I'm not sure. I didn't check that out. But for sure, Embiid at the five, and then at the four. Fuck. Giannis. I'm having a hard time. 
Oh, Giannis. How do we not think about Giannis? Did you see him when he was taking pictures? <laughs> Where? It was a blowout, so he was on the sideline taking pictures with a camera. Bro, why are they letting fans touch the players, bro? Courtside am, am I not crazy, bro. Am I not mistaken that that's happening? I think I've seen pictures where, like, fans and players Yeah, are, dude, like, totally. And, uh, and we got to mention, on. also in the front court, Durant. He's going off. Did you see that uh, dunk dude. he had the other night? What do you think about the, the Nets, bro? Seriously. Do you think they're mm. built to win? Well, it's because me, I like Durant. I've always liked his game. I root for him. He's a good player. Can't stand Kyrie. Can't stand Harden. I'm not going for them. But I wouldn't be surprised if they make it all the way to the finals. Oh, I could see the Celtics on a good day beating them. The Celtics are uh, definitely getting better. Tatum is a beast this year, man. You can't stop him. He's having I mean, his best like- year. I like Tice. He's 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 you know uh, mobile at the bottom. They have fucking oh my god, uh, what's his name, uh, Mr. Kardashian himself. Um, Jesus Christ! Oh, Let's Tristan Thompson. Tristan Thompson, bro. Yeah, uh, you know I who mean, looks good too? The Sixers with Doc. Ooh, they did. They they do have more discipline to them, but they look yeah way more disciplined. They look like they're playing uh, way. Like, the more energy. You know what? You know what? Let me tell you this. Um, Embiid had some sparks, you know, three, four years ago, and then had some injury issues and didn't do much the past two or three years. And now he, here he is doing more stuff. The whole time, Ben Simmons was supposed to be the next coming, bro. And Ben Simmons has just been this guy in the East that hasn't been able to do nothing. Along with Embiid and fucking, he can't. He doesn't like to shoot three pointers. They clap at him when they fuck when he makes one. Like like he's a fucking middle school kid. Well, we gotta be like Embiid, you know. Like he said, you know, he's like maybe I'm smarter than everyone. You know, I know when to fall down and stuff. (laughs) (laughs) All right, man. So let's uh, let's interject here and go to our last. New music spot of the week. Um, I'll go first, man. Uh, This beautiful young woman out of the UK, this black artist named Arlo Sparks. Uh, She's young, man. I think she's like 22. Um, I will say this. I hear her music and I hear like this dreamy pop sound. Um... I listened to an interview on uh, Apple Music, and and she talked about like things she listened to growing up, and um, she she mentioned the word shoegazy, and and she said beach house, and all those things led me to be like you know, she's you know like this alternative kind of. Um, I don't know, just not your typical fucking artist. Hmm. But because she's black, they have defined her music as R&B soul. So let's check it out, man. Miss uh, Arlo Parks with the track Hope. Mary tried to talk the pleasure back into being alive. 
chance to uh give us your third new music spot what you got for us my man hell yeah we're gonna get into a little bit of original football talk soon but a great segue is this english duo sleeve ford mods you ever heard of them nick negative They have a few albums out apparently and their new one is called Spare Ribs. They are a best way I can describe them is you got the lead singer Jason Williamson. He goes off on different tangents and he doesn't shy away from talking about the current state and the pandemic. And how it's wearing down on us in different ways. He's got his uh, counterpart, instrumentalist, Andrew Fern. He creates these different rhythms. It reminds me a little bit of LCD sound system, but with a little bit of an English twist. The song I picked is Nudge It, features guest vocalist Amy Taylor. And the album title is called Spare Ribs. And uh, before we get into it, I just want to let you know the quote that the lead singer came up with himself. Describing spare ribs. And he says just very pointedly, the idea of the amount of people that died from the first wave of coronavirus human lives are always expendable to the elites we're in a constant state of being spare ribs oh wow what a fucking quote well, let's check this out whole album is really 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 solid Snudge It by Sleep Ford Mods This 
all commercial gain to point the scenes of destruction. It's all a tie of meeting in the MOR board. Ticking boxes with the subjects for political score. The kudos makes it float on top where he stays. And the sequence of not being that close to his face. And just stuck on silly ideas, cause he's all you can do. Your car ain't got no brakes, it's just laughing at you. Alright man, well, um, I will say this, it's been a good episode um, thus far, I hope y'all are doing good out there, we're going to leave you with our Super Bowl predictions, the big fucking game, tomorrow, um, if Chiefs. the apocalypse doesn't happen tomorrow, <laughs> the Super Bowl might Chiefs. happen tomorrow. this is my prediction, ready? Chiefs 34, Bucks 27, Patrick Mahomes becomes the youngest quarterback to go back to back. What's your prediction, Brad? <laughs> yeah, I got the Chiefs winning too. Uh, if I had to say a score, yeah, something similar to that, I'd probably do 38 Chiefs, Bucks 28. It's going to be close till the end, but the Chiefs will get a touchdown at the end. I sit. As long as Patrick Mahomes doesn't get hurt, they should win. Dude, he can I'm find scared. a way. He can find he a way. Had, even if he's they get coming pressure, off a concussion. He's coming even off if a they get pressure, concussion. he'll just move out of it and find a different that like like against the Bills. That's all he did is just avoid contact and just keep throwing it and just keep slinging it around. That's what he's gonna keep doing. Well, we'll see, man. Um, thank you for everybody listening. I hope you all have a great weekend. Um, enjoy the wings, enjoy the fucking uh, crab dip and whatever the fuck else you're in, enjoying. Take it easy, hang out with everyone just at your house. Hopefully everyone just kicking it together in their households. Zoom, let's hang let's out. Zoom. We're going to have nothing but a good time watching the weekend. Just stay together. <laughs> Brian's hyped. Wear your mask, motherfuckers. All right, man, until next week. Midnight Genius Hour. Chelsea. Hey, you. Don't watch that. Watch this. This is the heavy, heavy monster sound. The nuttiest sound around. So if you've come in off the street and you're beginning to feel the heat, well, listen, buster. You better start to move your feet to the rockinest, rock steady beat of madness. One step beyond. <laughs>